well met everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So this week, sticking with the Christmas theme for this month's episodes, I wanted to talk about a series of shows that I think most of us listening have probably grown up with. Even the younger generations, I'm sure, will have seen at least a few of these television specials. And as you could tell from the title, I'm talking about the old Rankin-Bass animated series the different Christmas specials that they put out. Most of them were only about an hour-ish. Sometimes they had updates done and were made a little bit longer, but some of these are the most classic Christmas movies for a lot of us. I myself grew up watching the old Animagic, as they call it, it, the stop-motion movies by Rankin-Bass, the ones like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, And The Year Without a Santa Claus, all of those different movies, the ones you think of when you think of Christmas and the stop motion animation, were done by Rankin Bass, which was a big production company. They're still around, but not quite as prevalent. And so what I wanted to do today was touch on a bunch of the different titles that they've done, because there's actually even more than just the main ones that people know about. They had a lot that didn't do as well as specials, so they either don't still play or they're harder to find. But also, I wanted to give just a brief synopsis of a couple of the big ones. Sorry if my voice sounds weird at all, by the way. I moved the rooms I record in, so I'm still working on figuring out the sound in here. But also, I've been dealing with a cold, so I'm a little snuffly and it's affected my voice a bit. But I can still talk, so we're still going to have an episode this week. So Rankin-Bass was originally founded by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass in 1970, excuse me, in 1960 as Videocraft International. Later they became known as Rankin-Bass Animated Entertainment and all of that. But that was how they started. And they actually started out by doing a lot of different commercials. And one of the ways that they first got all of their funding and became popular was by making some of these stop-motion commercials for different companies. Specifically, they made a bunch of commercials in the stop-motion style, which they termed Animagic for GE, General Electric. And General Electric loved those commercials so much that they hired them to do a bunch of them. And that allowed Rankin-Bass to then move on to fund some of their TV specials that they did. The very first TV special they did was actually also funded by GE, and it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which they put out in 1964. It was roughly an hour long, and it was one of their first Animagic special feature TV series. So for anyone who doesn't know, Animagic, which honestly you might not since this is a podcast about it, but Animagic is what Rankin and Bass called their sort of filming style when using stop motion. So what they would do is they would use the stop motion animation, you know, just like Nightmare Before Christmas or um, Paranorman 
and those shows that have come out more recently, they would do the same thing, you know, and for anyone who doesn't know what stop motion is, basically a stop motion movie is one where you're using some sort of figures. Often they're made out of some type of clay or something moldable and bendable. And what you do is you move them just a tiny, tiny fraction every time that you take a shot. So basically you turn on the camera and take a shot and then you move the figures very, very slightly. Then you take a shot. Then you move the figures very, very slightly. Then you take another shot. So it's very time consuming. It takes a very long time. And that's honestly probably one of the reasons why most of their specials were only an hour or less because they were trying to make it actually manageable for themselves as opposed to the two-hour movies that we do now. But you also have to keep in mind technology was not as advanced back then. So the cameras they were using were not specialized for this. And on top of that, they were also not able to do the same thing that a lot of the stop-motion animators can do now. If you've ever watched any of the Nightmare Before Christmas specials, which I have because I love that movie, in Nightmare Before Christmas, one of the things that they were able to do because of current technology and everything was basically print hundreds of different faces for Jack Skellington. And so they didn't necessarily have to move his whole face every time. They just had to take off the one face and put on another. So they could actually plan out via animation how they were going to have the faces and they could put the different faces on. And they can do similar things for other ones. They did similar things for um, Coraline, for example, where you could change out parts of the faces. And so that's not something that Rankin-Bass had. They had to actually physically move the pieces on their little figures. So it took a lot longer, even than it would now. But one of the things they did also that they you used to term the coin Animagic is that they were known for taking regular cell animation, which is basically regular drawing, regular animation like any other cartoon. They took those types of cells, which if you've seen them ever for sale from like Disney and everything, basically they're clear sheets of plastic that have the drawing on them. And what that means is then whatever you're drawing can be laid over a background image that's already been colored and painted and whatnot. So what Rankin-Bass would do is they would take some of those cells and they would do things like paint a snowstorm on them. And what they would do is then project the images of those snowstorms over the images they took of their actual stop motion animation. So they got this nice blend of traditional animation and stop motion, which they termed Animagic. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was their first Animagic movie, and it's still one of their most popular, to the point where in 1995, it was actually the highest rated animated program all of that year. And keep in mind, that's almost, actually it's more than 30 years after the original air date of the special, but it still has such strong staying power and such a nice story that people still love to watch it. I myself have watched all of those Animagic stop-motion specials on TV since I was a kid, and I was born in 85. So, you know, 20-plus years after they made them, kids my age were still watching them. And there's a lot of different factors that went into making Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer such a big hit. For one thing, they were able to use the actual song, 
um, one of the factors to that was that Rankin was neighbors with Johnny Marks, who had actually composed Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Rudolph was written by Johnny Marks after his sister-in-law wrote the original book, the original story that was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And Rankin was able to get Marks to agree to let him use the song for the show, which was something that Marks had never done before. He'd been very protective of the song for a long time because it, you know, had to do with his family's book and story and everything. So he was usually not letting people use it. So this was a big deal. There's that. But there's also the fact that they, and they continued to do this in most of their productions, they would always try to have a big name actor or actress as one of the voice characters. They did this to draw in new audiences, but also it exposed that actor or actress then to a younger audience, especially depending on what their normal audience was. For example, in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Sam the Snowman is a character who comes in and narrates the story. And quite often their main, you know, big name voice actor would be used in some sort of narration area because it allowed for them to create characters that at least somewhat resembled the original actor or actress. This wasn't always the case, but it did happen quite a few times. Some of the other factors that they honestly always say go into it is just that the story that they wrote for Rudolph was really good. It had a very good arc to it in terms of, you know, going from the bullied kid to the savior of the story. And also there were a lot of unique and interesting characters and it just had a happy ending. Burl Ives played the voice of Sam the Snowman. So he popped in periodically and narrated the story and kept things moving and gave it a cohesive feel. But also this was the first time that audiences had seen anything like this. They had seen the commercials that Rankin Bass had done because those played on TV all the time for GE, but they hadn't seen a full-length production, a true TV special that was done in this style. It wasn't a animation technique that was as common back then. Stop motion existed, but usually it was done for very short pieces because of how time intensive it was. And on top of that, no one else had really been using the quote-unquote animagic technique where they would use regular animation and overlay it onto the claymation or anim stop motion animation. So you got this nice blend of both and it also had a very just unique imagery. One of the things that was very important to Rankin Bass and they were very involved in was the artistic direction. They did have people working with them who were doing most of the animation or most of the set design and everything, but ultimately they were very hands-on in creating it. And it created a wonderful product that people still watch today. For anyone who hasn't seen the special or who doesn't remember exactly which one I'm talking about, I don't want to go into all the details and ruin it for anyone that wants to watch it the first time by themselves. But it's the one where, you know, Rudolph's red nose gets exposed and the other reindeer make fun of him, just like the story, just like the song. So that's not really giving anything away. Um, he meets a elf who wants to be a dentist. They end up in the Island of Misfit Toys. You know, it's it's that whole one. It's a really cute story, and I definitely recommend it if you haven't watched it. It's also just a wonderful Christmas family movie to watch. The next big Animagic show that they came out with was a very different tone. It was actually The Little Drummer Boy in December of 1968. 
and it featured the main character of Aaron, the little drummer boy, you know, traveling around with his animal companions and ultimately being there when Jesus was born. So it was a lot more religious and a little more somber, but still had a very similar feel in terms of the animagic technique where they had the stop motion with some sort of animation overlay. And I do want to say also, it's important to note that Rankin-Bass made a lot of other movies. They made a lot of different holiday movies for a bunch of different holidays. They became known as sort of the go-to guys for some sort of Christmas or holiday special. But the ones they're best known for, I think, are the holiday Christmas ones, such as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They also did several for Easter. Again, I grew up watching these. I don't know if everyone else has seen them because they're not as commonly known, but they came out with a bunch like Here Comes Peter Cottontail, and the, uh, there's one about the first Easter, which the name I'm blanking on right now. But they came out with those as well. And they also had one for Thanksgiving called The Mouse on the Mayflower and things like that. So they had a lot of different holiday specials. And that's kind of what they were known for for a very long time. The Little Drummer Boy was followed very quickly by an actual animation, just regular animation, not animagic called Frosty the Snowman, which again, I think is a very big Christmas classic that a lot of people recognize. You know, the classic story of Frosty having a magic hat put on his head and he comes to life and plays with the children and then has to run away to the North Pole, all that kind of stuff. That aired in December of 1969 on CBS and was also a big hit. And again, they did the similar thing where they had famous actors do voices and draw more of an audience in. They had Jimmy Durante play the narrator and also do some singing. Specifically, he sang Frosty the Snowman. And they had Jackie Vernon, who was a famous comic at the time, play Frosty. So he actually did the voice for Frosty himself. There's tons and tons and tons of these. So I'm going to try to run through them real quick and then sort of do like a recap thing at the end. But the next one they came out with in December of 1970 was Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And Mickey Rooney, again, a big name at the time, played Kris Kringle and was the, it was done in Anim Animagic again. And another big name they brought in for this one was that Fred Astaire played the narrator character. And he told the story, but he also sung a song, you know, the Santa Claus is Coming to Town song during it. So that was another one. And that one is sort of the story of how Santa came to be. They followed that up by Twas the Night Before Christmas, which featured a couple of different families in a town that was going to be passed by by Santa because someone had sent him an offensive letter. And that was December of 1974. And then the next Animagic one they came out with was in, again, also in 1974, but it was called The Year Without a Santa Claus, which is another classic one that I grew up watching. For anyone who doesn't remember the name with the special, The Year Without a Santa Claus is the one where Santa Claus is sick, and also a doctor makes a comment to him about, eh, no one cares about Christmas anymore. So he feels kind of bad anyway, and he just decides he's going to skip Christmas that year because he needs a break and because he doesn't feel good and because no one cares. So Mrs. Claus sends a couple of the elves, Jingle and Jangle, along with Vixen, out to try and find some Christmas spirit to prove to Santa that people still care. 
as many people could predict, a whole lot of chaos ensues, and Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus end up having to deal with Heat Miser and Snow Miser. For anyone who's seen those, even if you can't remember the whole story, I mean, the Snow Miser and Heat Miser songs are so catchy, it's almost impossible to get them out of your head once you hear them. You know, the whole, I'm Mr. Snow Miser, I'm Mr. Cold, that whole thing, that is from that movie. So if you've seen the special, you probably recognize that tune because it's one that just sticks in your head afterwards. Also, I apologize if I got that stuck in anybody's head just now. But on the plus side, you can easily find that old special, The Year Without a Santa Claus. It often plays during the holidays, but you can also find it on Amazon and things like that for sale. So you can go buy it and then get the song out of your head by actually watching it, which is something I fully endorse. They followed up Year Without a Santa Claus with The First Christmas, which was actually told and sung by Angela Lansbury, and she played a character named Sister Teresa, and it dealt with a, a sister, a nun, and an orphanage, and a little orphan boy that was blind, and it was another animagic one. They followed that again with another one that's, I think, more of a classic, Frosty's Winter Wonderland. Frosty's Winter Wonderland was the sequel to the original Frosty, and it's the one where Frosty comes back and ends up getting a wife that the kids built for him named Crystal, and their love was powerful enough to defeat the bad guy and actually make him a friend and, you know, that whole thing. It's got a very fun arc, but that was their next one, and that was in December of 1976. Okay, I'm not done with going through all of the movies they made, or, well, I guess technically these weren't considered movies because they were so short. They were considered just a TV special. Most of them don't last more than an hour, and some of them are even shorter than that. But I'm going to finish going through the list after the ad break. Okay, so first off, I want to talk about World Anvil. For anyone who's been listening, you've heard me talk about World Anvil. They're amazing. If you're an author trying to design your world, or if you are a DM trying to build your world and create it so that your characters have access to more information and background history, it's just an amazing tool. We use it on a bunch of the different Nerdsmith shows, including Countless Heroes, which I'm on, as well as Shenanigans, which I'm also on. And it's just so much fun and to actually input the information and see how you can make all the different things connect. And it's a lot like a wiki where you can tag another article so that you can link things back and forth, which is just fantastic. It's worldanvil.com and actually right now they're having what they call World Ember. The entire month of December, you can go on there and if you create an account, which is free, basic account is free, and start typing up information on your world, you have the chance to win one of their, you know, tons of prizes. They have over a thousand dollars of prizes. So it's worth a shot. You do have to type over 10,000 words to be entered, but you definitely have the option to do that. And I would highly recommend it for anyone who's kind of been on the fence. Just give it a try because this month you could actually even win prizes for creating your world in World Anvil. So why not? and you have until the end of the month. With that, I'm gonna get back into this week's topic. There's a ton of information on this one. There's a lot of specials. So I wanna make sure I get back into it quickly. Okay, so moving on. After Frosty's Winter Wonderland, 
they came out with Rudolph's Shiny New Year. This is another one that I consider a classic because I watched it so much growing up, but it's the one where uh, Baby New Year, named Happy, has the really, really big ears, and everybody keeps laughing at him, which makes him really sad, so he keeps running away. And Rudolph, because he can see through all the snow and the fog of that year, is sent to go look for Happy because he's the only one that can see easily through all of the bad weather. There's a whole lot of mishaps, and they have to fight this giant nasty bird named Aeon who doesn't want to die, so he wants to capture Baby New Year so that he stops aging and all this kind of stuff. But that came out in December of 1976, and that was another Animagic special. So again, they used, you know, the animation overlay on the stop motion and created just this wonderful imagery and it's just a fun story in my opinion all of their specials the holiday specials at least the ones i've mentioned had this really like happy good feel to them so it's one of those classic christmas stories where you know the good guy wins and everyone's happy at the end and if there is a person who's not happy they're really miserable horrible persons you don't feel that bad for them you know, all of that. And honestly, even then, they often don't have a lot of bad stuff happen to the new, to the bad people, which, you know, classic kids type story where the bad guy gets something that happens to them, but it's not awful. Following Rudolph's Shiny New Year was a follow-up to The Little Drummer Boy. They came out with sort of a second sequel to it called The Little Drummer Boy Book Two, which was in December of 1976. And then the following one, which was another Animagic one, was called Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, which aired in December of 1977. It was based off of a popular song by Gene Autry, and it was another Animagic TV special. But in that one, we've got a donkey up at the North Pole telling the elves and Santa Claus and everybody the story of his ancestor, Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey, who was very important and helped save Joseph and Mary when they were traveling with baby Jesus. Like it's that whole thing. So it's another more religious one, which if that's not your thing, that's fine. But it's still a cute story. And it's all about how Nestor, despite the fact that he was really different and was made fun of and nobody liked him, was still able to save the day with his unique ability, which was his gigantic ears. Following that was The Stingiest Man in Town in December of 1978, and that one was basically based off of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So you know how that story goes already. Scrooge and Cratchit and the ghosts of Christmas past and, you know, it's that whole thing. But they did their own animated version of it, which is pretty cute. Following that was Jack Frost in December of 1979, and that was another Animagic one. Jack Frost is one of the lesser known ones. It's not as easy to find, though I personally do remember seeing this as a kid. It's the one where Jack Frost falls in love with a human woman and Santa Claus grants his wish and lets him be human for a while. But in order to stay human, he has to win her love and, you know, a whole lot of things happen. She's not falling in love with him. She's falling in love with someone else and in order to save her and the town that he's been living in, he has to, you know, get rid of his humanity and go back to being Jack Frost to save the people there. So he does it. He sacrifices to save everyone. 
it's honestly one of the few stories where not everyone is happy at the end because he doesn't get to be with the person he was in love with and he doesn't get to be human like he wanted to be with her but he did save the day he knows she's okay and he's back with his friends so he's not by himself he's just not necessarily where he wanted to be the next one which is another animagic one although i have to be honest i haven't seen this one and i'm not surprised because from what i've been able to read it's pretty hard to find and wasn't very popular but that's a special called pinocchio's christmas and it aired in december of 1980 and it was another animagic one so if you really like the Animagic style, it'd be a good one to maybe try and find. Like I said, I wasn't able to find a lot of information on it. Although the book I used for my um, recording today, the one I used for all my information, is a really good book. Actually, it's called The Enchanted World of Rankin Bass. And it was actually done with Arthur Rankin Jr. helping the author. So there's actually some direct history from one of the men himself. And the full book title is The Enchanted World of Rankin Bass, A Portfolio, and it's by Rick Goldschmidt, G-O-L-D-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. However, if you type in Rankin Bass and look for books, there's not that many on Amazon, so you should be able to find this one if you go looking for it. The movie after Jack Frost and Pinocchio's Christmas was The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, which is another one that I've personally never seen and again, is harder to find. You know, a lot of these that I've mentioned, The Year Without a Santa Claus, Rudolph, The Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty, those are, like I said, I think to a lot of people considered sort of a Christmas classic. So they're easy to find. I actually own a couple of different box sets that you can buy in various locations, you know, Best Buy, Amazon, wherever you buy your DVDs. But they have actual box sets of the different shows that you can get. And there's music and it's fun. And that's something that's available in a lot of different places. Some of these specials they did, though, weren't as popular. They didn't air as often. And they didn't make it into those gift boxes. One of them is The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, which was in 1981. The very last one they did, which was also an Animagic, was called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, and it came out in December of 1985. It was a lot more somber and not quite as fun-loving as some of the other Rankin-Bass productions that had to do with the holidays. It also didn't do as well, and it was their last one that they really put out as one of their big holiday specials. Their their specials had sort of become not as big a pool other than, you know, being replayed all the time. And the new stuff they were coming out with wasn't as popular. So it was also around this time that the company started to slow down. And they did do some live action productions and some other shows. But their by far most popular ended up being all of the holiday specials. Some of the other things that they did, which I think are important to note, especially given that my show is called Geek Thyself, is that they are the ones who did the Hobbit animated series. So for anyone who has seen it, there are two movies based off of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, which were produced by Rankin Bass. One of them is called The Hobbit, and it came out in November of 1977. It's an animated feature, and it covers the entire story of The Hobbit book from start to finish, all the way to Bilbo going back home. The second one is called Return of the King, and 
they kind of skipped over all of the middle two books, the first two of uh, Lord of the Rings, and went straight to the third book. But it's there's some changes, but a lot of it's the same. It's kind of loosely based on that third book. They definitely made a couple of changes, but I would consider it fairly true to story, mostly. And that came out in May of 1980. Something also that I learned while doing my research that I hadn't known is that they were the originators of Coneheads. So for anyone who's old enough to have seen the Coneheads movie with Dan Aykroyd back, I think it was in the 90s, you know, like me, someone who's old enough to have seen it, um, that original character actually came from a cartoon that Rankin Bass did with Dan Aykroyd. It was animated and it came out in October of 1983 And the Coneheads then, you know, they went on to become an SNL skit with Dan Aykroyd. And from there went on to become the movie that people may have seen. So that was kind of cool. I didn't realize that there was a connection there. They also did another one of my favorite animated movies that's based off a classic story, which is The Wind in the Willows. For anyone who hasn't seen The Wind in the Willows animated feature, I definitely recommend it. It is not 100% true to the book, for anyone who's read the book, but they get pretty close, especially considering it's supposed to be a kid's show. I mean, it's a cartoon. You know, so given that, they get pretty close. And honestly, there's not enough, up until recently with all the CGI stuff we have, there wasn't really another good way they were going to be able to do The Wind in the Willows. But... It, I personally enjoy it. I think it's fun. And it came out in July of 1988. So that was another one they did. Another thing that's really cool for any of my 80s and 90s kids out there is that Rankin-Bass is the company that did Thundercats. That's right. You heard me. Rankin-Bass did Thundercats. That, in my opinion, is probably the biggest nerdy thing they produced, at least from what I read through of all of their productions. Thundercats was the biggest one. And then, of course, The Hobbit would probably be following that. And all the holiday classics that I just ran through were obviously made by them as well. So they were pretty prolific for quite a while. But unfortunately, things like they tend to did start to taper down and their their shows became less popular. They weren't making as much. The very last show that Rankin-Bass put out was called Santa Baby, and it featured Patti LaBelle as one of the main voices for the animation. Again, it was based off of a song. It included the song, and it was a Christmas story. However, after that, Rankin-Bass did dissolve as a partnership, and the two men, Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr., did go on to do other projects, but not with each other. I do want to note also, although I think I said it already, They did make a ton of other shows and movies. The ones I talked about today, I just really focused on the Christmas-based ones since that's the season we're in, so it made the most sense. But if you like Easter shows, I definitely recommend checking out the Peter Cottontail Easter Bunny ones they did. I grew up watching those on ABC Family and everything, and I always loved them. I still look for them whenever I'm you know, watching TV and looking for specials, those are still on my like top 10 list to watch. I would love to watch those. And they're something that's fun and entertaining. And it's just, you know, good, wholesome family entertainment for anyone who has kids. Definitely recommend them. Okay, I could keep going, honestly, because I love these movies. But my voice is starting to go for anyone who couldn't tell. 
which hopefully you couldn't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And also I'm past my 30 minutes. So I'm going to call this topic good for this week. And I will be back next week with something new. So I will talk to you then. Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK. Or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. <laughs> <laughs>